Nicely done, beef. No matter how you're cooked. Grilled, sauteed, stir-fried, roasted, or stewed. Your savory sounds are music to everyone's ears. Yeah, now that's a dinner playlist. Get cooking at Beef. It's what's for dinner.com. Funded by Beef Farmers and Ranchers. And welcome to Sunday Coffee. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield, Farm Bureau Studios. Go with the home team at Farm Bureau. Hey, with uh, basketball, hey, we play well Wednesday night or Tuesday night, whatever night we played in Lexington. We were pretty good that night. And with uh, with yesterday, we're going to talk about baseball today. That's what we thought about, uh, Charlie. Hey, February rolls around this week. Baseball season is here. We had the first scrimmage yesterday. I had a chance to go out and watch a couple of innings. And so, hey, what say you, man? Uh, this is kind of my wheelhouse, your wheelhouse, too. I'm ready for baseball. I'm just disappointed you brought us in on a down note. I guess you're giving us a way to only get better as we go forward today. Setting a tone right now. I'm setting the tone. I'm casting out any negativity from here on out. It is very positive, Bart. Three-quarter, I said this last week, three-quarter, half-full Bart. That's what I am. I've got my strange brew coffee that I brewed this morning. It is fantastic. Blueberry cobbler flavored coffee that I always have. A little bit of cream, a little bit of sugar. I'm not a straight black coffee guy like you. But strange brew with three locations, two in Starkville, one in Tupelo. Of course, you got the original on Spring Street and Highway 12. You've got University Drive with the drive through and then in Tupelo with Brupolo. Strangebrewcoffeehouse.com. They have all kinds of things you can order online. You can get that great coffee delivered right to your doorstep or some great mugs. They have Cold Stone Creamery for those late nights in Starkville that, uh, that you want to have just a little bit of something sweet before you head back to the condo, head back to the apartment or the house, Cold Stone. And so, Charlie... All right, yesterday, scrimmage time, kind of felt like baseball yesterday. Felt like early season baseball, 37 degrees when I walked out there yesterday. I was looking up for Matt Wyatt the other day. We were talking about all-time Mississippi State players to wear number 21, which led me to find Howie McCann, who is Brian McCann's father, and he was from Oswego, New York, which then had me down the rabbit hole of looking up the weather yesterday in Oswego, New York, and it was 13 degrees with a wind chill of negative 3. And I commented to somebody, that feels a lot like opening day around here. Because December, man, we could have been playing ball. February, I just know how it's going to go. I tell you what, when Wyatt sent that out the other day, I really went down a rabbit hole and started looking at 21s. You start thinking about Kevin Donovan and – and all these guys that were so good. And um, now today is 19. What Logan Tanner's 19. I think Matt tweeted out this morning about Brent Rooker, of course. Jonathan Papelbon wore number 19 at Mississippi State. So 19 days away from opening day. State will open the season against Long Beach State. Charlie, we talked about this last week, about how Long Beach State is going to be a very good team. Top 25 team. May have the best defensive catcher in college baseball Coming in here, a good rotation. You're going to get a good feel early in the year or that first weekend, what you kind of have. And so, hey, let's take this morning and kind of ask each other some questions. 
because now the questions begin to come. Can Mississippi State repeat as national champion? I know that's kind of the obvious question, but what position player are you most interested in seeing this year? Well, and I suppose then we have to kind of break that down into two levels because you can think about somebody I'm interested to see what they do in the field or a position player that I'm interested in seeing what they do at the plate. As far as guys in the field, I'm interested to see Lane Forsyth. I thought he was an exceptional defender last year for Mississippi State. Very sure glove. He wasn't perfect, but I thought he was really good to exceptional. Then the question, and I watched him some in the fall and thought, man, that guy's better. That guy's gotten better than where he was. I'm interested to see how much better Lane Forsyth is going to be for Mississippi State defensively on the infield. But then the question is, where is he going to take the advance at the plate? We've talked before about Matthew Maniscalco, how he got better hitting every year. Can Forsyth do that? If he can, he's going to be a really special player. Well, to me, you know what you got in Logan Tanner. And then, you know, he's a guy that's going to be solid behind a dish, tremendous arm. He's going to really hamper the running game. And then you start looking around. Okay, you talk about Braylon Skinner, Jess Davis out in center field. You know those guys can go get it. You know, what are they going to do at the plate to complement that? I think that kind of goes back to what you're saying about Lane Forsyth. Toward the end of the year, of course, he was elite just about all year long at shortstop defensively. But then offensively, where do you go? Of course, he was on the College World Series all-tournament team, Lane Forsyth. But I think that's the question, is a couple of these guys in the lineup and where you see them in the lineup that are defenders, but you're trying to figure out what they can do offensively. You know, Jess Davis, the transfer, and coming from UAB, hit 258. I mean, he's a guy that, that's, that's not going to hit with tremendous power. He's not going to hit with a great average, but he's a guy that can go get it in center field. Braylon Skinner had difficulties at time at the plate last year. So that's the question mark to me. It seems to me like, and then you start thinking about Luke Hancock, okay, a guy that could really hit, who played a little bit of first base, a little out of position at times last year. It's amazing. When you look at this lineup, it's it's going to be interesting to see how Chris Lamontis puts it all together because there are some guys who definitely have an advantage defensively and had, at this time have not hit the ball extremely well. Then you've got some guys like Hancock who have hit it extremely well, and then what do you do from a defensive standpoint? To me, that's what's an intriguing look at the year. And neither one of us mentioned R.J. Yeager, who will very likely be your starting second baseman, a guy that's hit for power. I'm interested to see him play just because we had not seen him play that much. We've at least got some idea what most of these other guys are going to do. But you ask about the position players – I'm curious, you know, in terms of pitching, what's the what's the big question? Who's the guy? Who's the guy that you want to see what they do pitching this year? I, I'm telling you, I think it's Parker Stinnett. And I know, you know, Landon Sims, the big question mark about Landon Sims moving from the bullpen to being a starting pitcher. The same with Preston Johnson. But to me, Parker Stinnett is that guy you try to figure out where does he play in. Does he play into the Sunday role? Does he play into the closer role? What about a Casey Hunt? Those, to me, to me, those are the two guys, Casey Hunt and Parker Stinnett. You know, I want to see whether they can get ahead. A lot of times last year, Casey Hunt was down 2-0. I mean, he, he was pitching from behind at times. And so if he's moved into a reliever role, into your closer role, the thing you can't do, of course, is put guys on base. And it's not just about walks late in games. It's about falling behind and giving hitters hitters counts 
late in games. And so, to me, I look at Parker Stanett, Casey Hunt, a little slash right there, who can be a starter. Now, Casey Hunt started in the game for a team yesterday in the scrimmage. Parker Stanett came out of the bullpen. But what you start thinking about and what's been talked about a good bit in the offseason is Parker Stanett being that third starter and then Casey Hunt coming out of the bullpen. To me, those are the two guys I look for. What about you? I'm actually really excited to see what Jackson Fristo is going to do this year. I think he's kind of gotten forgotten a little bit as we start talking about coming into the year. You haven't heard as much buzz, but you got to go back and remember this is a guy, you know, I get it, it was Kent State, but he threw six hits, you know, six innings of no hit baseball against those guys. I thought the thing that he struggled with a little bit as you got down kind of that middle of the season was just walks. He ended up walking 37 guys in 49 innings, and you say, ooh, that's a lot. But he struck out 68 in those 49 innings. So you've got a guy who's got good stuff. And then if you want to go back at the end of the year and you say, okay, why was a guy like Fristo struggling? you got to remember this is a freshman coming off that COVID senior high school year when not only did high school baseball get messed up, summer ball got messed up. And you go back, Bart. How many truly great freshman pitchers? I mean, guys with no warts at all have we had. I mean, we're, you got to go back like your Mahalams and, and those guys because even Chris Stratton, who is one of my favorite Mississippi State pitchers, was far from elite as a freshman. Um, you could say the same thing about Dakota Hudson. What you saw are guys who made a big step. Kind of they make that adjustment, they get through that freshman year, and then all of a sudden they start taking steps. I don't want us to write off Jackson Fristo because I think the guy is clearly talented if he can find that control and command. Well, and that kind of goes to another point about Cole Cheatham. You know, that kid coming in from Ardmore, Alabama, that northern area of Alabama coming in as a true freshman. He pitched yesterday. And you bring up that point about true freshmen that can really come in and be really good for you. And I thought Fristo early in the year last year was pretty good. But the thing about, you know, these guys, you think of it, Ethan Small, who had difficulties. You look back to 13, I mean, Jonathan Holder was good in the bullpen late in that year. Caleb Reed was the starter or was the was the, the relief guy. Well, it's 2012. And then Holder kind of takes that place late in the year because he hadn't pitched a whole lot. But Fristo, it, it seemed to me like Fristo it, with pitch selection, how many times last year, whether he be ahead – one, two, or even deep in counts at three, two of trying to spin a breaking ball and spin it down. It's almost like he lost his feel for his secondary pitch, that curveball. And then all of a sudden he felt like he had to rely too much on fastball and just kind of got in his head a little bit. And so, yeah, I think Fristo is another one of those guys, too, that, you know, what do you do in the bullpen? Now, the question then comes to, and this may be something we talk about later on, about bullpen depth. Okay, the thing we had last year is we had guys, if you struggled with your starter, that you had long relief guys in the middle, like a Preston Johnson. Now all of a sudden he's moved to the starting role. Landon Sims, which you knew was the known on the back end. Now he is a starter, and so what do you do in the bullpen? To me, that's a that's a big question too. Well, the one thing I want to tag on to that, though, I think we are committed to moving Landon Sims to being a starter, and I know we'll talk about that. But it's really interesting when you start hearing people say, well, this guy's going to be a starter, this guy's going to be a reliever. I don't know that the die is cast on many of those necessarily right now. I think back to last year, 
Houston Harding was a bona fide relief pitcher until he wasn't. And I think we could see that happen a lot this year. Do you, do you disagree? No, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And here's the thing that makes me feel good about it, Charlie, is this pitching staff with Scott Foxhall and more so Chris Lamonis as your head coach is known for making moves. I mean, he's a guy that's, that they're not going to put it in you know magic marker right now and say this is your lineup right now. They will make some moves during the season. It's no longer the days of Ron Polk is what you're telling me. Good or bad, no matter what you say about Coach Polk, which this week we had so many great – I was trying to in, in just indoctrinate him into the thought process of an electric car, as you can imagine how that conversation went. And we were talking about gas and gas mileage and about where you can plug up and just different things. It was absolutely phenomenal. But, hey, I can go all day long about the things that, that go on in that man's mind every day. Okay, let me ask you this question. Here's a question I had written down for you. All right, every year it always happens, and it will happen after the first weekend series. You'll start looking at message boards, and you'll start seeing complaints. All right, I want to know what the first complaint from the message board will be this year about this team. Oh, this is a layup. This is an absolute layup. How many times have you heard it? We sat around the whole offseason reading our press clippings, and we didn't get ready to play. These guys aren't a bit better than they were last year. That's that's going to be the first thing we see. Well, you stated the obvious. That's the thing. You took the obvious one away. Okay, here's the one I'm going to say. We strike out too much. I think this team is more built for power than last year's team. You lost a Rowdy Jordan, and you lose a Tanner Allen. And those were guys that can spray it around the ballpark, even though they could hit it out every now and then. But I think this team is going to be more power-oriented. And what's going to happen is they're going to strike out more. I look at the scrimmage yesterday, and I started counting it up. And I may have been been wrong on this. And Gene Swindoll does a great job, and so does Mike Nemeth with 247 Sports about covering the spring. But I was looking at their stats, and I saw where I think it was 44 total at-bats yesterday. And out of the 44 at-bats, we had 11 hits in the 44 at-bats. So we hit 250 in the scrimmage yesterday. It's a cold day, and, of course, pitching is always ahead of the hitting this time of year. Luke Hancock hit a home run off Landon Sims yesterday on a 2-0 fastball. Knew what was coming. But this team struck out 20 times yesterday. So 20 strikeouts in 44 at-bats. And so what that tells me is if you had 11 hits, 20 strikeouts, you only had 13 defensive plays that you had to make in that game. Now, we played airless ball yesterday in the scrimmage, but you only had 13 outs on uh, defensive plays. And so, to me, that's going to be the big thing is I think this team is going to strike out more this year than they did last year because that was the big thing for this team. And and maybe that's the scrimmage numbers looking at me again. We had big strikeouts with our pitching. We didn't have a whole lot of strikeouts with our hitting, but I think we're going to have a lot of strikeouts with pitching this year but more strikeouts with our hitters. Well, I hope not, because if you go back and you look at our calling card from last year, it was that we struck out a ton of guys and we didn't strike out much. And so if we are going to strike out, we better hit more balls out of the yard. So uh, I hope you're wrong about that one, but I have a feeling you may not be. So here is my question for you. If I told you right now that we will go 7-3 and three in the SEC on Fridays, or what I'll call the virtual Friday, so game one, of the SEC weekend, that if I told you this year we're going 7-3 and three in those games, do you take it? No, I take it any year. 
I take seven and three any year because every Friday night in this league, you're going to run up against a dog. And if you went 70% of the time on Friday nights, you've got a great chance on the weekend. Now, do I like our chances with a guy like Landon Sims? Yeah, I do. I mean, he's got, you know, high velocity fastball, tremendous spin rate. The analytics are great. His slider is above average. You know, can he develop that third pitch? Can he work through the lineup three times? I know that's going to be some questions that, you know, we're really not going to know the answers until probably the third or fourth week of the season. But yeah, absolutely. You give me seven and three, I may take six and four. If you gave me six and four, I may say six and four. Well, I didn't expect you to go there because if you go back to thirteen, I think we were eight and two on Friday night. Last year I think we were eight and two. Uh nineteen, I think we basically maybe lost three. I think we were eight and two though. In eighteen though, I think we won like four games, maybe three on game one of the SEC, but I'll go with you at seven and three. I don't think you could get me at six and four. I'll just play it out and see what happens. Seven and three, I say I take it, and uh, we'll just get ready for Saturday. Am I jumping into the half-empty bar there? Is is that the is that the Mississippi State mechanism of just trying to say, okay, I'm going to go with a low number, and then if we get to eight and two, it's like a pleasant surprise in the back of my mind. Is that what I'm trying to do right here? Reverse psychology. I have a feeling that half-empty Bart just made an appearance, but that's okay. All right, so we talk about the Friday nights. All right, I want you to call your shot right now, okay? On January the 30th, three weeks before we play a ball game, do you like Landon Sims as a starter? Yes, with caveats. Okay, I understand that. And I we probably have the same caveats. So first things first, I think that for Landon Sims, you have to make him a starter. If Landon Sims was a guy who lived his entire life as a closer, who had no idea what being a starter was, and we were making a panic move, and Landon Sims didn't really want to do it, I would say it's the wrong move. But what is good for Mississippi State baseball long term? First of all, we know we got to get six innings out of Landon Sims somewhere, five innings. We know that he can do it because we saw numerous times last year that he went four. So can he do it? Yes. And I know there's a lot of talk about not having a third pitch and that type thing, and I wish that he did. But at the same time, you could be pretty good in college baseball with two pitches if they're dominant, his are. And you can throw strikes, he does. But I think it's in the best interest of Landon Sims to be stretched out to be a starter. I think it gives him a chance to be a higher draft pick. In the long term, I think that says to guys we're recruiting, we're going to do everything we can to get you in the best place you can be for pro baseball. And so if it's on the edge, and I think it would be in terms of what would help this team the most, if it's on the edge at all, then I think you have to favor the best interest of the player, and I think it is in his best interest to be a starter. I agree, and what did we say middleway through the season last year? We were using him just one time a weekend. And if you're going to get one-time Landon Sims – hey, let's go ahead and stretch him out and see how many innings we could possibly get him because we are exponentially better as a team with Landon Sims on the mound. Now, then the question becomes, okay, about the third pitch. And so much is said about that third pitch. And you just said that a minute ago, Charlie, about the two pitches he has are way above average. That fastball is in the high 90s. But here's the thing about Friday nights, and it goes back to that that, uh, record you were talking about a minute ago, is how many one-run games do we see on Friday night? You see a lot of one-run or low-scoring games on Friday night because it is a byproduct of having your best pitchers on the mound. 
but what does that bring into play? A booted ground ball here, a, you know, a, a dying quail out in right center field that, that falls in, a humpback line drive, a ground ball with eyes. And you know, there, there are things about the game that, that just crop up and happen. So then the question becomes, okay, if you're in the sixth inning and you're having trouble getting through that, that order for the third time and you have to come out of a game, there is a completely different way you pitch on Friday nights when you're up 3-1 and you're down 3-1. And so, to me, that's the thing that, that scares you about. And, that, hey, I want to put my best guy out there. But the thing we haven't seen out of Landon is the ability to go seven, eight innings on a Friday night. Hey, we, he's gone four before. But those, these are just questions. I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm just saying these are question marks you have, no doubt, going into the season. Of course, all that being said, there aren't many times now that we see major league pitchers go into the seventh or the eighth. It, baseball has just changed so much now that even in the big leagues, you're starting thinking about – we used to say you had a designated ninth inning guy, and then you had an eighth inning guy. Well, now you're all the way down to like having sixth and seventh inning guys. And so – if you told me right now we can get through the lineup twice with some success, I think you've gotten what you need. Um, let me ask you this, because I was reading last night, reading accounts of the scrimmages and, and kind of looking around the league as well, and it seems like every time people start to predict how Mississippi State's going to do this year, they do it by looking at who we have and comparing it to what we had a year ago. But very rarely do we start to see people look at what we have and compare it to the rest of the league. And I think like the Dallas Cowboys, for example, if we were going to talk about how good the Dallas Cowboys are, you can't really do that unless you consider what's going on in the NFC East. And or I last year coming into the season, we said it was going to be the most talented, deepest we'd ever seen. I think the SEC could be even better this year than it was a year ago. Do you agree, and do you think we're missing the boat as we start to say what kind of season we have or going to have by just looking at our own guys? Yeah, I think that's a big thing that a lot of times you know we get wrong is you know we don't we look at ourselves and you know we look at what's going on up the road as they say, and you start trying to figure out how we match up. And when you look in the league this year, and and I go back to to you know, I'm talking about Landon Sims, and I want to you know overall picture you know. Picture-wise in the league, not pitcher, but picture-wise, you know, we have a pretty good, you know, opportunity to have a rotation of the league. Now, you look around the league, there are some teams that may struggle starting pitching-wise. But I think the team, the teams offensively this year, the league has a better chance. And this has always been a pitcher's league, it seems like. But I think the SEC West this year could really be a big-time offensive league. And so you look at our lineup, you look at LSU's lineup, you look at Arkansas's lineup, you look at Ole Miss's lineup, you look at Alabama, are they going to be better? You look at Auburn, are they going to be better? Yeah, I agree with that, Charlie. We are kind of you know conditioned to look at what are we going to do and what does our lineup look like, and we don't compare it to what other teams are doing. I look around the league, and right now in the SEC West, we have four teams in the top ten. You've got Arkansas at two. We're at three or four, depending on which poll you want to look at. Ole Miss at five, LSU at eight. And LSU, look, you talk about – I mean, we can talk more about some players around the league in a little bit, but you've got a guy transferring in and Jacob Berry. you got Dylan Cruz. 
But then you go and you ask yourself, well, what's their breakdown? It's pitching. I think Ole Miss has got a really good lineup. They've got an experienced lineup, and with Elko back healthy, I think they're going to be able to hit the ball really well. Then the question becomes for them, where's their pitching? And it's it's kind of fascinating, Bart. I think you could go almost position by position and say who has the best player. And our numbers, our guys, we may not populate that team. You certainly would at catcher, for example. But around the other – positions you could have some real arguments about whether there are guys in the league better than what you have I think the key for us is basically kind of overall depth uh, and the complete picture of the puzzle not the strength of an individual piece yeah I agree I mean you start looking at Arkansas you know I think Arkansas is going to be really good in their lineup and then if you throw in Peyton Paulette and they lost him a couple of weeks ago. If you throw in Peyton Paulette with that rotation, you have to say that Arkansas may be the team to beat in the SEC West. But with that injury to Paulette, you know what does that do? You know down the line for Arkansas because their lineup is going to be solid. You know you start thinking about a Robert Moore at second base. You you've got you know Caden Wallace who's at third base, a sophomore who's really good. You know Michael Turner, a catcher that's transferring in from Kent State. We saw him, you know Turner last year with Kent State. You've got, uh, you know, you got Lanzilli, a transfer, a fifth-year guy from Wake Forest. You've got Borfin, a, a guy that transferred from Oklahoma. Now, these guys are not, you know, big time with their numbers, but it really goes with a Jalen Battles, who's your shortstop. I mean, you know, Arkansas up and down their lineup is going to be really good. You talk about Ole Miss a minute ago. I mean, this Ole Miss lineup is just exactly the same, essentially, as what you saw last year. I mean, you've got a, a really good shortstop in Jacob Gonzalez, who was a leadoff guy for most of the year. Chatagnier is your second baseman. You talk about Elko. Dunhurst is a great catcher behind the plate. McCants is out of position in center field, but he's a solid hitter for you. You got Graham out in left field. I mean, Leatherwood's your DH. I mean, you just, you just start looking, man. Bench at third base. I mean, you've got all these guys that are back from an offensive standpoint, which kind of leads me down that road again of – Hey, what are the question marks for everybody in the SEC? You mentioned Jacob Berry a minute ago from LSU. Dylan Cruz, who's a right fielder, who was a freshman of the year last year and projected player of the year in the SEC. But you look at their rotation. Man, I tell you what, you talk about question marks. You think we have question marks in our rotation? LSU's got some question marks. Well, yeah, because you start looking at their projected rotation and one of their top guys is a left-handed pitcher who a year ago pitched to an ERA of almost six. And so, and you talk about guys they have who are high walk guys. We talk about walks being a concern. They've got some serious control issues within the innings pitched. And if then again, too, you start to look at some of their pitching and you're talking about guys who pitched 35 innings last year. You're not talking about guys who, you know, pitched 80 and 85 and you, you know a ton about. I think LSU is going to have a chance particularly at the end of the year, to hit the ball down in that ballpark and put up some offensive numbers. But pitching is a question. I think overall, though, I think we're going to be reasonably balanced in where we are. Uh, Bart, let, I want to ask you this. I was having the discussion with somebody the other day, and we were talking about the expectations for Mississippi State baseball in the future. One of the things that I'm excited about is it really looks to me like our recruiting is taking a significant step forward and the challenge with baseball recruiting and I think a lot of people miss this the there is a tremendous lag 
between the day you get a commitment in most cases and the day they ever play baseball for you. And, you know, if you look at the field last year, we had a lot of John Cohen recruits out there. And you start to look, you've got uh, recruits from some of the other guys who have passed through here. Some Canazero guys that you win with. What did we hear about Chris Lamonis when we came in? We heard this is a guy who can recruit, but the problem is a lot of those guys are just now starting to get here. Bednar was an exception, I get that. I think there is a chance that this team, from a fan standpoint, better be good because next year we could kind of, look, you're going to have a whole bunch of newcomers on the field next year. But I do feel like this team is pointed in the right direction and has a chance to start being elite in the years to come. Am I right or wrong? I think the thing that's helped Chris Lamonis, and you know the thing about looking at this program when you had so much turnover from 2016 through 2019 with the head coaching position, you had so many different guys coaching. I think the thing that has helped Chris Lamonis is Jake Gotro being kind of that that constant with the program. You know, he came in with Andy Canizero and then with Gary Henderson and then Chris Lamonis. And so that relationship was already there with a guy who was big on your staff. Now, what Chris Lamonis has done is he's come in and you're getting guys from all over the southeast and all over the country. I agree, you know, you're you're going to backfill next year with some talented guys that are kind of unproven. We're doing this show next year, 12 months from now. I mean, (laughs) we're really going to have some question marks because you're going to have a lot of guys leaving the program this year. But I tell you what, man, you know, when you start looking at recruiting that Chris Lamonis has done, and and you don't know, it's an inexact science, man. And some guys bloom when they're in 12th grade. But let me tell you this, in baseball, a lot of times, your best freshmen are going to be your best seniors. That's just the way the baseball goes. And, man, we're getting a lot of big-time guys. Now, can you keep them out of the draft? That's one of the big things, too. I mean, that's you have to re-recruit these guys. Not only do you recruit them and get them committed, get them to, or trying to get them to campus to sell them on your program versus other college programs, then you've got to sell them versus the Florida Marlins, the New York Yankees, and the Atlanta Braves. And, and Chris Lamonis has done a pretty good job of doing that so far. And so, yeah, I think the – we have a chance to be elite for years to come. I think our ballpark helps that. I think the way that our program, you know, the way that he manages affects that. I think you're going to be a, a, have a, a chance to be a really good, with a really good coach, a really good pitching staff, our pitching coach, and Scott Foxhall. The continuity of this coaching staff over the last couple of years has helped this team and will help this team in the way they've recruited in the years to come. You mentioned Jake Gotro. And you mentioned the consistency and the hitting approach. Is this team going to hit? Yeah, I think this team is going to hit. I think it's going to be more of a power style of team. I think you know, we have recruited a little bit more. You start thinking, thinking about a, a, a an Alford at third base and you know some of these other guys that's under your lineup now. I think we're beginning to recruit more toward our ballpark. But, yeah, I mean, the, the thing that Jake Gotro does – and the thing that makes you feel good about, yeah, we may be more of a power team, but the mentality that we have with two strikes, and that's kind of old school, Charlie. There are not many teams. and Hey, you can go with analytics and swing plane and launch angle and all these other things, but at the end of the day with two strikes, it's all about putting the ball in play. And I think that's one of the old school traits that Jake Gotro, it's almost like you embrace the new analytics 
But then when it gets to two strikes, we're going back to old school hitting. And that's what I really like about Jake Gotro. Right, so as we're talking about assistant coaches, we hit on Gotro, and you obviously mentioned Scott Foxhall and the job he does. We talked about the rotation a little bit earlier. If you had to put your marker right now on somebody other than Landon Sims being an opening weekend starter, where are you going? I don't know. I mean, I think that's the – I've got to see a, another scrimmage or two. Because I don't know. I mean, I could give you my thoughts, but I don't know if the coaching staff knows. And I haven't talked to any of those guys. I think this is just going to be one of those things that's really played out. I think there are about five or six different scenarios. And you give me another week or so, come back and ask me that question next week. Because I really don't know outside of Landon Sims. I don't know what you're going to see on the rotation. Because I get asked that question just about every day. Hey, who's going to, who's going to be our third starter? And I can right now look people in the eye or talk to them on the phone and with confidence say, I don't know. I don't have a clue right now. The answer we were looking for was Cade Smith. Cade Smith is the answer to that question. I've got him going game two opening weekend. And I know a lot of people, you know, think it's going to be walling. I And I understand that. I just think when it all comes down to it, I may be wrong about this, but I think – when you go into that opening weekend playing at home, you want somebody who's been on the mound in that stadium before. I think if, again, if I had to guess, and I have no knowledge, Cade Smith is going to start game two for you in that opening weekend. Okay, what are your thoughts on Mikey Tepper? We started talking about Fristo a while ago. He's a guy that was tremendous talent coming out of high school, had that short and senior season in high school, Last year, at times, flashed where he was really good, but then he, you know, lacked a little location. You know, Mikey Tepper may be a guy that that he has got a lot of top side talent to him. Now, I don't know if you see him in a starting role, but he's also a guy we haven't talked about. Yeah, and I, I love his stuff. I think Mikey Tepper has great stuff, and I think he's one of those guys that has a real chance to kind of jump up and to be a special pitcher then I think with him, I go back to a lot of these guys, and, and I wonder if it kind of tracks to the development of guys as they're coming up now. He pitches 12 innings, strikes out 14, walks nine. And I, I think almost every one of these young guys, I, I remember we were talking to Scott Foxhall about a pitcher one time before the season, and he talked about rifle arm shotgun command. And, and that's, I see that phrase kind of coming to mind this year. The question is going to be, with a, a Mikey Tepper, is it the guy who, in a third of an inning against Missouri, walks one, strikes out one, gives up one hit? Or or is it, uh, you know, the guy who can come in and pitch well? You know, he didn't pitch after the Missouri series, so you didn't see him in the postseason last year. I think Mikey Tepper has a chance to work his way into this, into a prominent role. But I think with him, I go back to just so many of these guys, the question is going to be, can you can you command the zone? Is that your be- biggest question mark for this pitching staff? To me, it is. Is about throwing strikes. It's not about just walks. It's about where you get into counts. We talked about yesterday with Luke Hancock hitting the home run off Landon Sims, but where did it come? It came on a two zero fastball. And to me, that's where Parker Stinnett got in trouble last year. That's where Casey Hunt has gotten in trouble before. And to me, that's the biggest question mark: is how do you throw? on pitch one and two of an at-bat. And 
not only just walks, but how you command early encounters. That's going to be a big key for me, and that's the biggest question mark for me, to be honest with you, with this entire pitching staff. I'm going to give you two others to consider. Number one is Brandon Smith. Brandon Smith looked pretty good at times last year, and then he got hit hard at times. And if he ha- if he gets the ball up in the zone, I think he's in trouble. But what do we know about Brandon Smith? He's now year two coming back from Tommy John. And that's where you always see guys really take their leap forward after that surgery. Brandon Smith, another guy who, look, he's been around. He's pitched some innings. He pitched almost 40 innings last year. And so I, I think we kind of make a mistake a little bit for getting Brandon Smith. I don't know that he'll be a starter, but he could be that guy who's really good if you got to go to the bullpen early on a Saturday or for some reason Sims only gets through four innings because he's thrown a ton of pitches. I wouldn't write off Brandon Smith. The other guy I think who's got a chance to kind of stretch things out a little bit is Stone Simmons. You know, that's a guy who's been around and and knows how to pitch. But, again, I go back to all these guys. Smith, not so much the walks. I think he's a little bit different. I thought Smith's problem was he just got hit. Um, Some of these other guys, though, I think the big issue is going to be can you keep your walk count down? Can you quit plunking guys? Because if you can, the stuff is there. Yeah, and it kind of goes back to, you know, what are you playing against? And you start looking at the lineups in the SEC and you start thinking about late in the year. And The thing that we have done is we've lived heavily off fastballs that are up in the zone and trying to get it, you know, above the barrel of the bat. And that's where this pitching staff has been. We have pitched off our fastball extremely well. You look at a Landon Sims and a Bednar, guys that threw a high percentage of fastballs. And you kind of wonder what that does to an Andrew Walling. You, a hard-throwing you know, pitcher who, if you're asking guys not to rely so much on their secondary stuff, to me that's going to be a big key. Now, it goes back to the point of having good lineups in the SEC late in the year, and you start looking at the LSUs of the world and the Ole Misses of the world and the Arkansas and the teams that can hit it out of the yard, that is going to be some big-time matchups. High-velocity fastballs living up in the zone – against teams that can run it out of the yard in a hurry. And, you know, last year we got by with that. Last year we won those battles. Can you continue to win those battles, fastballs versus home run guys? That's going to be a big key to me. All right, Bart, kind of last question I've got for you today is this. I talk so much about being a kid, and, in fact, I've told you the story before about the baseball where I got it signed by guys I thought were going to be big time. And I think like 11 out of the 12 on the baseball made the major leagues. The other guy went to AAA. He's got Ben McDonald and Frank Thomas and a lot of those guys. If you were 12, 13, 14-year-old Charlie with your baseball and guys coming through this year, who are you getting to, who do you most think I need to go get a signature from? All right, uh, two guys to me. I think number one is going to be Jacob Berry, who comes in from LSU. He's a transfer from Arizona, tremendous offensive player. I mean, right now, D1 Baseball has him ranked as the number one overall draft prospect for a college player this year. And when you start talking about guys that you you don't think can't miss, I don't think he's a – I think he's a can't-miss guy. I mean, he is so good. Dylan Cruz, he's going to be out there in the outfield close to you, Charlie. When you're out there in the, in the left field lounge, you can yell at him. You can throw him a ball. You can throw him that ball in between innings, and he can throw it right back to you. I think Dylan Cruz is a guy. To me, LSU has the, the top-end guys 
coming in to Duty Noble this year. Now, the question for LSU, like we just said, is what are they going to do with their weekend rotation? What are they going to do with their Tuesday night guy? And how will, how good will they be? Now, they're, they're going to have a guy like Cruz and a, a guy like Jacob Berry, who I think are really, really good. Yeah, and if I had to add one to that, I'd say take a look at Hunter Barco coming in from Florida, a left-handed pitcher. I think he's got a chance to be a really special player too. So I think those are probably the guys. And, of course, we forget because we haven't had to deal with them here in quite a while, it seems like. But, you know, you got Tennessee coming in, and, and Tennessee's got some guys, one of whom – may have some injury issues, sore shoulder and Blake uh, Blade Tidwell, the right-handed pitcher. You got Jordan Beck an outfielder there. And so Tennessee's they've got some talent on that team, but I I'm with you. I I think step 1 for me is Jacob Berry and Dylan Cruz, and then I think I put uh Barco on that ball as well. Yeah, I forgot about the Tennessee guys. I was trying to think of our home schedule. And you know you've got uh, LSU coming in. We go to Arkansas, we go to Ole Miss this year. We've got Auburn coming in. I don't see anybody from Auburn that I have to have that ball signed. But, yeah, I agree with you there, Charlie. Florida coming in. Barco, that left-hander, really, really special. Hey, you know who else is really special, Charlie? Wait a minute. How on earth can I set you up by talking about Barco and you didn't immediately pounce on the segue right there? Well, no, so that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to throw you the, the curveball on 2-0. and because I knew you were looking at Hunter Barco and thinking we were going to talk about Barco and that Barco equipment with Tracks Plus. Yeah, okay, I'll go there. Tracks Plus, four locations, three in Mississippi. You've got Hickory, which is the hub. They've got that big service center down there. In case anything ever goes wrong, you can take it right there, right back to you. They'll come pick it up. They'll fix it for you. Barco and then the Saney equipment for if you're moving the dirt with excavators, but Hickory location, the location between Starkville and Columbus, and then Summit, Mississippi, and then Alexandria, Louisiana. So four locations with Tracks Plus. And so, yeah, I was going to throw you the curveball and go, you just can't go wrong with our friends at Bank First. Bank First, better way to bank. Locations throughout Mississippi and Alabama, and they have great customer service as well. So when you start thinking about the customer service in the equipment world, the forestry equipment world, the customer service doesn't get any better than Tracks Plus. And when you start thinking about Bank First, the customer service doesn't get any better than our good friends at Bank First. Is that okay? Did I do okay with that? I'm sorry I had to come back with that barco. Well, I can only put the ball on the tee so long. Sooner or later, you got to take the swing. And I, I thought as soon as I said Hunter Barco that you'd be coming out of your shoes swinging at that one. But, hey, it's still early. Pitching's a little ahead of the hitters. I get it. Uh, you're you're still still tuning up a little bit, man. I'm so ready for baseball, and hey, coming up in this fall, we're gonna go to four shows a week. We'll have our regular out of left field show and the midweek show that is on the WFCA French Camp, and then uh, we'll have our Friday deep digs. Talk about tracks plus our Friday deep digs. We'll come back for Sunday coffee, and then we'll have an SEC baseball review will drop on Sunday night or Monday mornings for you to kind of give you an update of what went on around the SEC. So a busy spring for us as we're looking forward to baseball season. Hey, we're the defending national champions. Man, it just feels good every time you say it. So, hey, Charlie, enjoyed it. Me too. And, you know, Bart, last thing I'll say, I'm looking back. There's a whole lot of guys that we haven't talked about who have a chance to make a big impact on this team. 
you know, we still got a lot of freshmen. We got a lot of new. What, what's Aaron Downs going to do? Where, what are you going to get out of him, if anything? What, what about a Matt Quarter? What about a guy like Davis Mesh, who was kind of around the lineup, you know, just kind of around last year? I, I think, you know, Bryce Chance, who hit so well in the fall, I mean, we could go through this. We didn't talk about Hunter Hines. What are you going to do with him? Is he going to play first base? Uh, boy, Cam Tuller, what are you getting out of him? Because Cam Tuller could be a pretty good matchup guy as a lefty. I think, uh, you know, Von Siebert's got some power. Are you going to put him at DH opening weekend just to, if for no other reason, it's a good get-off-the-bus guy at 6'4 and almost 250? Uh, we, we still have a lot to talk about on this team. Yep, Drew McGowan out in left field, and man, just just so many different guys on this team. But Tanner Leggett, I mean, it's it's uh, a lot of questions have to be answered in the next couple of weeks, and they'll be answered. That's the thing about baseball, man, is uh, they'll be answered in the first month and a half of the season, and that's the thing that I feel confident about is we got a guy who's sitting there who's known for pressing buttons and pressing the right buttons in Chris Limonis. Charlie enjoyed it as always. Once again, thanks to our great sponsors, Strange Brew Coffee House, Strange Brew three, three locations, strangebrewcoffeehouse.com, our Sunday coffee, and then you've got our good friends at Farm Bureau, the Farm Bureau Studios. Go with the home team. They have agents in every county in the state of Mississippi, so go with the home team at favorites.com. That's Farm Bureau. Tracks Plus with that great Saney equipment and that Barco equipment. They're so good. They have a pitcher named after them down in Florida who's one of the best in the SEC. And then the Bank First, better way to bank, great locations throughout Mississippi and Alabama. And then our good friends at the Mississippi Beef Council. Beef, it's what's for dinner, brought to you by the Mississippi Cattlemen and their checkoff. For Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us on Sunday Coffee.